today, I pray for them. And I ask you, Lord, to help them. And I pray that all of us would learn to find our joy in Jesus, not in our circumstances, so that we can always rejoice in the Lord and we can always give you thanks and we can always look with hope and joy and optimism at the plan of God and the future that we have with you forever in heaven instead of the temporary problems that we have here on earth. But we're all guilty of that, Lord, and we all fall short of the glory of God and I pray you would forgive us of that. And I pray, Lord, that even at this time of year where the world is at least somewhat kind of aware of Jesus, I pray we would take advantage of that to tell them the whole story and to minister to them and to witness to them and to serve them and to help them any way that we can. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would find joy in doing that and above all, joy in glorifying the Lord. I pray for comfort for those who are grieving. I pray for health and strength for those who are suffering. I pray for a blessing on people who are facing financial difficulties right now. And I pray, Lord, for those especially whose maybe there's a division in their family, an estrangement or something that goes on that, that people can't get together. I think about people in the military who are deployed overseas or people who are in prison and can't be with their families or their families with them. I think about the people that have to work on these days that are law enforcement and medical personnel and utility workers and all, all kinds of people. We could go on and on, help those people and uh, comfort them. And we pray, Father, that all of this would be done so that everybody would be able to see the truth of a holy God and a Savior who came to pay our sin debt on the cross, and the conquering King, who's no longer a baby in a manger, but He is a King sitting on a throne who will return one day. And I pray, Father, that You would fill us just with the joy and the hope and with the confidence of knowing Christ. So bless the rest of this service, and we pray You would do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I told you last week we're going to be kind of taking these four Sundays looking at gifts, G, I, F, and T. And uh, last week we looked at the G. It's all about the glory of God. This week we're going to be looking at the fact that it's about the I, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He's not just another human. He's not just another baby that was born. This, of course, is uh, God in human flesh. And so for the glory of God, <clears throat> we look now at the incarnation of God because it is about the glory of God. It's God's glory coming to live in a human body, in a baby's body to begin with. And... Um, when we think about all of this, we expect it to be different. We expect it to be strange. We expect it to be marvelous. We expect it to be supernatural because this is for the glory of God. There are babies that have been born uh, for thousands of years, right? All going all the way back to Adam and Eve. And God does receive glory through the conception and through the birth of every child. But this is different. This is not going to be normal in very many ways. It's going to be very abnormal. In fact, it's going to be super normal because it is 
a supernatural situation here. The word incarnation, it means to put on flesh. Incarno is the Latin word, and uh, meaning to put on flesh, or if it's in the passive, to be made flesh. And so Jesus certainly was. He is God who limited himself and emptied himself and put on flesh so that he truly was the God-man. Not half God, half man, but 100% God and 100% man. And when we read about this, we don't go to Bethlehem. Uh, everything we talk about and sing and say, we say, oh, he stepped out of heaven into a stable. No, it went nine months before that. And I want you to see that in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This is a story of the conception of Jesus Christ and the announcement of it. So verse 26, Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. In other words, he was directly related to the king. He's royalty. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she's troubled. She's troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She had never been greeted like this before. She didn't expect it. She didn't fully understand it, did she? Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, his ancestor, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. Remember, Jacob's another name for Israel forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know, meaning I've not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest, another name for God, will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One is to, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Well, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant, the servant, the Slave of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. What a faith statement that was. And the angel departed from her, and now Mary arose in those days, or about that time, and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias, and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth 
heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped for joy in my womb. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So that's quite a story, isn't it? And when we think about this, this is the point where the Lord Jesus stepped out of heaven into the womb of Mary. So to go from being an, a spirit and to go from being omnipresent everywhere and then to step into a womb is a very, very, very small uh, being. Right at the point of conception. And then the Lord, this one who has been the blessed controller of all things and omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient is now a fetus in the womb and is in the womb totally dependent upon Mary, had an umbilical cord and placenta just like everybody does and uh, living like that for those nine months before he ever makes an appearance in Bethlehem. And yet at the same time, very much alive. Anybody that says that... Uh, when there is a baby that is conceived in the womb, it's not really human, it's not really alive until it breathes or anything like that. Well, this is a passage that shows that they are very much alive in the womb. Both Jesus and John the Baptist were present, and John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb at the greeting of Mary to Elizabeth. So it's uh, quite a story and quite a something that we ought to think about. And I don't think we think maybe deeply enough about what all this meant. And so the first word I'd like for you to think about, and maybe even to write down, is complicated. Could the Lord possibly complicate this any more than he actually did? Now, if Greg were writing the story and the script of all of this beforehand, I would say, okay, we need something big, we need something flashy. We need something that's going to make a, a show of power and a big splash for the Lord to come. But that's not the way it happened. When you look at this, how complicated is it? Well, these things that the angel said, better hope that there wasn't a Roman soldier around anywhere close. Better hope that there wasn't a tax collector anywhere close. Better hope that there wasn't an official of Herod the Great anywhere close. Because these are words that sound kind of treasonous against Rome. These are words that sound revolutionary. These are words that sound contrary to the rule of Caesar, Augustus, or Octavian uh, back in Rome. And Israel, of course, is occupied and controlled by Rome. Some of the things that kind of complicate all of this and make this to be strange and something that Mary is not going to fully understand and might even be a little bit frightening to her. Think about this that complicates her situation. First of all, this is announcing a conception to someone who's never had any type of sexual uh, relation 
with a man. This is a virgin. Okay, that's the first thing that would make us go. Now, how in the world is something like that possible to somebody who is not married and not involved with anyone yet? She is betrothed at this point. Some people say that a betrothal is like an engagement. Well, kind of, sort of, nearly, but not really. It was a contractual agreement between two families, actually. Usually the father of the, uh, the young lady and the father of the young man would make an agreement together between their two families, sometimes even before the children were, were born, that my child, if this is a son that we have, and your daughter, if it indeed works out like that, that they will marry, will make sure that the two families are joined together. And they worked out the dowry, they worked out the payment, they worked out all of that type of stuff very, very early. <clears throat> now, when they came of age, they would have a public ceremony where Mary and Joseph would be betrothed. And everybody would knew they belonged to each other. It was a very serious arrangement that could only be broken by a divorce. During this time, they were not to have any type of sexual contact with each other or with anyone else so that when they came together in the actual wedding ceremony that they are ready for that. So Mary is betrothed in all of this and just what do you suppose is going to be the reaction of her betrothed husband Joseph when he finds out she's pregnant and he knows that he is not the father so what's she going to tell him how's she going to explain all of this well Joseph it's not what you think oh it's not how could it be any other than what I think there's only one way this happens right Oh no, this is different. An angel came to me and this is from God. Can you just imagine how weird that's going to sound? I mean, the Lord did not set this up to be easy, to be believable, or to be something that people just go, oh, well, that makes sense. None of this makes just a whole lot of sense from merely a human perspective and it didn't even make sense to Mary. And then as the angel is talking here, he goes through the ancestry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Caesar ruled over Palestine in this time, and he had a puppet king named Herod the Great who wasn't afraid to kill anybody. This, after all, is the man that when the wise men didn't come back and report to him, he had all of the babies in Bethlehem killed two years of age and under, just slaughtered. Can you imagine the heartlessness and the cruelty of this particular king? And here they are, an encounter between Gabriel and Mary, and they are openly talking about these kind of things. What kind of things? This child is going to be someone that is related to the greatest king, the legendary king of Israel. You don't talk about those kind of things in this time in Israel. You don't bring up what your relationship is to a great and powerful king of the past. You see, when King Herod heard from the wise men a couple of years later, where is he that is, now get this word, born king of the Jews? Now, why would that be an insult? Why would that be an alarm to Herod? Because Herod was not born king of the Jews. 
He was an illegitimate puppet king set there by Rome. Now to have somebody who is born the king of the Jews, that's going to incite riots. That's going to incite insurrection. That is going to cause messianic fervor to rise up and cause the Jews to riot and rebel against Rome. Well, this is happening here even before Jesus is born. This is happening here where this angel is talking about he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. He's going to rule over Israel and he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. That's the kind of stuff that gets you put in prison. That's the kind of stuff that gets you executed by Rome. Could the Lord have possibly made this any more difficult? This is the kind of thing that is going to be considered by the government and by all of those who are uh, committed to the government or working for the government like tax collectors. This is going to be very, very seditious. This is going to be something that is going to raise eyebrows. This is going to be something that could even bring capital punishment. And so this is a tough, tough thing. It's also complicated as to the greeting. Mary is a nobody. Mary is very young, and that is a culture that didn't celebrate youth. In fact, youth was something they couldn't wait to get out of. In that culture, they looked to the people that were older, and they revered them, and they were the ones that were wise. They were the ones that were powerful. They were the ones that the Lord would work through. And here Mary is, she's a teenager at this time. She is a virgin, she's not even married yet, she's only betrothed. And uh, yet this angel comes and gives this magnificent, magnificent greeting from the Lord. It kind of stirred Mary up. What in the world is this all about? And she's a very normal person. She is uh, a peasant girl in the village of Nazareth, and she is betrothed to another nobody. He is the village carpenter, but they're not rich. They're not famous. They're not powerful. They don't have any political connections. They're not from a family that is well-connected or anything like that at all. Just two obscure people, and uh, here they are. The angel makes this particular announcement about them. And so the whole thing is just really, really complicated. It's dangerous, it's scary, it's frightening, it's something that's not going to be understood. It puts her in a particularly vulnerable situation. What's everybody going to think? What are they going to talk about? What are they going to say? And every Jewish mother at that time hoped that they were going to bear the promised Messiah, but not like this. This makes Mary look like she has been immoral. It makes her look like she's prostituted herself. And Nazareth was known for that type of thing. It was a very immoral city. And uh, uh, this is, makes Mary just look like one of the crowd. And yet she's going to say, I've got the Messiah in my womb. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, how in the world does that ever happen? And so the Lord sets this whole thing up in such a complicated way. And there are people today say, how in the world can you believe that? Well, that's kind of the point. This is supposed to be something that is not just a normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill happening that anybody would believe. This is something that is going to be difficult to believe because the Lord is not going to do this in an easy way or make this easy on anybody. And so the second thing that we find here, write down the word confusing. 
Because if you're confused by any of this, and you would think other people are, well, even Mary doesn't understand it. Mary is the first one to question the virgin birth. How can these things be? And so she just doesn't really get it, and that's understandable. How in the world is she supposed to understand this? The word there that says she was troubled, it's a word that can also be translated perplexed. It's only used here in the New Testament, a one-time use here. And in other words, the greeting made no sense to her. No sense at all. In fact, if you were to ask Mary, how would you describe yourself? She never would have said anything like the angel said about herself. I'm a nobody. I'm a peasant. My family's poor. I'm marrying a man who is also poor. And he's going to work hard and work hard for a living. And it's going to be difficult to provide for our family. I'm certainly nothing like what the angel said and uh, what anyone else might think here. And the word favor here, though, what did she do? And some people have surmised that Mary must have been perfect in order to be favored by the Lord. Mary just did everything right. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church even... Um, they believed this for a long time, but they made it official sometime in the 1950s, saying that Mary was without sin, just like Jesus was. And whenever they talk about the Immaculate Conception, they're not talking about Christ, they're talking about the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Well, uh, I would dispute that because a little bit later in what is called the Magnificent, uh, Magnificat, uh, Mary says... My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Well, you don't need a Savior if you're not a sinner, but Mary was a sinner who needed a Savior. And so all of this kind of confused her. It troubled her. It didn't make a lot of sense to her. Why is this being come from God greeting me in this manner? And then he says that I found favor with God. Well, we have to go back into the original language to understand this, the word for favor here is the word charis, and it's the word that is normally translated grace. I don't know why they didn't do that here, but uh, that's the word everywhere else. For by grace you have been saved. We're familiar with that. It's the same word here that Mary has been favored. She has been graced by God. She doesn't deserve it. She's a sinner like everyone else, but God in His grace has chosen to use her in spite of her sin. So she is the recipient of grace. She doesn't dispense grace. You don't need to go to Mary and say, Hey, Hail Mary, Mother of God, uh, full of grace or anything like that. That's not the story here. That's not the way this works. She received grace. She doesn't dispense grace. She's a sinner like us. And so... When we talk about the Lord's coming, we usually say it, and most of the time I do too, the virgin birth of Christ. But let's back up. It's where we need to go, wait a minute, let's think this through. The birth of Christ wasn't any different than any other baby. A lot of babies were born that same night all over the world, and it was the same way. There were labor pains with the mother. There was the delivery. There was blood. There was all of that type of thing that would go on. It was no different. What was different about Christ? Now listen carefully. It's the virgin conception of Christ. There's where the miracle is. It's God in human flesh that has come down and implanted himself into the womb of a virgin. 
There's no sexual contact. There's nothing like that between God and Mary, like in pagan religions or anything. But Christ, there's a body created for him, and Christ steps out of heaven to embody or to inhabit that body in the womb of Mary. So let's think of it like that. <clears throat> virgin birth, yeah, he was born of a virgin, absolutely, okay? But think about this, the virgin conception of Christ is really the amazing thing, and that is what is taking place here, and the angel Gabriel has been sent to announce this. So this is when Jesus left heaven and entered into the world, and this is when he came down, okay? wasn't the manger, it was here into the womb of Mary where he will live for nine months. And then notice here it's complicated because we're told the baby will become a king. Now, not only does that cause trouble for Rome and all of those situations, but here's the other thing. Don't kings usually come from other kings? I mean, whenever Queen Elizabeth II died, they didn't have an election for king. What happened? Her son, Charles, became the king. And how did Elizabeth become queen? Because she was the daughter of a king. They run in bloodlines. They run in a dynasty. Now, you can make the case that both Mary and Joseph were descendants of David, but that had been long gone. That dynasty was over. That kingship was over. Israel has been occupied now by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, and then after that by the Persians under King Darius or Cyrus, and then after that they were uh, overrun and uh, they were inhabited by the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then after that they are occupied by the Romans under the Caesars. Israel has not been free except for a brief period of time in all of those hundreds of years they've been occupied. So where would the royal family be? They'd be in Rome, not in Nazareth, right? And anybody that is a king, they're not king by birth. They're king by appointment from Rome. And yet Gabriel said this baby is going to be born as a king. And he is going to be a king. Mary, you get to be the queen mother of the king. How in the world does that happen? I'm an obscure nobody from a nowhere town, Nowheresville, and uh, <clears throat> in an obscure part of Israel that nobody pays any attention to or thinks is important, and yet for me is going to become a king? Nobody's going to bow before this king. Nobody's going to recognize the authority of this king. Where did you come from? Well, I came from Nazareth. There's no kings coming from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's been said. Nobody would take that seriously. Nobody's going to follow this king. What are you talking about here? And what are your credentials for giving birth to a king? This whole thing is just so incredibly complex. And so we find here that Mary, in great wonder, she says, How? It wasn't so much doubt. It wasn't so much that she's saying, impossible, it'll never happen. It's as though Moses, uh, Mary listens to this in wonder and says, how in the world will this ever come about? Everything is against this. Everything is set up the wrong way in this whole scenario for the coming of the Messiah. How? How? How is this going to take place well number three would you write down the word clarified the word clarified God makes it clear 
what is going to happen. Listen to it again. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One that is to be born will be called the Son of God. Not the Son of Joseph, Son of God. In fact, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. Mary would have known about that. She's well past the years of childbearing. And she is now in the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now Mary's overwhelmed by all of this. And she says, how will these things be? And the angel basically is saying to her, God's going to do it. Because with God, this supernatural work is going to be possible because with God, nothing is impossible. Not only are you going to conceive a child in your womb that is going to be called the Son of God, how does that ever happen? But your cousin, Elizabeth, who is well past the age of childbearing, is now in her sixth month of pregnancy with, of course, John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't realize Jesus and John the Baptist were relatives. And so this whole thing, it's, it's what we would say is salvific. It's about salvation. It's about people being redeemed. It's about people being saved from their sins. And they can't do it themselves. There, there aren't enough sheep on the planet to pay for sin. There are not enough goats on the planet to pay for sins, even if you could afford to offer all of them. It just can't be done. God has to do it. It has to be the perfect sacrifice, and only God is perfect, so God becomes man, and wow, wonder of wonders, he picks out this girl at this particular time, in this particular situation, complicated as it is and he comes down and he lives inside of her womb to make his appearance in nine months so this is an amazing thing this human baby is also going to be the son of god and the righteousness of god we call it theologically the hypostatic union the union of the god man in christ fully god fully man hypostatic union and her older bearing cousin is pregnant as well. And uh, this was another impossibility. Now, when he gets down to the point where he says, For with God, nothing is impossible. No thing is impossible. The Greek word there, uh, the last part of the word nothing, the thing part of it, is the Greek word rhema. Rhema. You ever heard of that? The word rhema is another Greek uh, expression for word. In other words, the angel is saying, no word from God is impossible. And it points us back that God, whatever he says, he will do. Whatever he decrees will take place. And whatever is written in scripture, the word of God, the rhema of God, is going to come true. Because with God, no rhema, no word, no promise, no scripture, no prophecy is impossible because God specializes in doing the impossible. Who else could say, let there be light, and light appears before there's a sun, moon, or stars that are ever created? Who else could create the universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing? 
Only God can do that because our God specializes in doing the impossible and He does the impossible all the time. And so this is saying that this baby that is in you will be the fulfillment of everything Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. It'll be the fulfillment of what God said to Eve way, way back in the garden after they sinned when He said uh, to Eve that He will strike your heel, but you will crush his head. And he was speaking there of the seed of woman. That was an allusion to the virgin virgin birth and that Christ would be able to do something that nobody else has ever done because with God, no rhema is impossible. No word from God is ever impossible. So look to the scripture and trust the scripture. And then number four, I want you to write down the word confirmed because we go into the rest of this story for the same reason that Dr. Luke does. There's a confirmation here that takes place. Now Elizabeth finds out that she is pregnant. She's an older woman at this particular time. And uh, how is it that back then in particular, and and women do it now even, um, they determine that they're pregnant because they miss a cycle. Maybe a couple of them. So then they go, oh, I think I might be pregnant. Okay, how's Elizabeth going to do that? How's she going to know that she's pregnant because she's far past that and she no longer is having those cycles. In fact, she has now been called the barren one because she's too old. She's past the age of childbearing. She's already been through menopause. So how is this going to happen? So she doesn't say anything to anybody. She doesn't want to look foolish. She doesn't want to be the object of ridicule. So she kind of isolates herself for five months. In fact, this whole passage begins with in the sixth month, and that's meaning in the sixth month of uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy because the previous story was the announcement to Zechariah the priest that you're going to have a son. So in the sixth month then, that's when the angel appears to Mary, and Mary goes to see Elizabeth in the sixth month. Now one thing, that when you get into the sixth month, the pregnancy can no longer be hidden. The pregnancy is obvious. So if Elizabeth wants to go out and say, hey, you know what? What that angel said to my husband is true. I have conceived a child. There aren't any snickers when you look at her belly. Everybody goes, wow, how in the world did this happen? And they were amazed by all of it. And this is going to be a confirmation to Mary. Mary, here's how you know that everything I say is true. Because you're going to conceive and then you're going to see your cousin Elizabeth and you're going to see that she too has conceived and both of them are impossible conceptions. John the Baptist wasn't like Mary's though and Jesus. But uh, nonetheless, impossible. And when Mary sees Elizabeth, when they greet one another and she sees that her older cousin Elizabeth is indeed pregnant, that's going to confirm everything that the angel has said and it's going to confirm it in Mary's heart because Mary has a rough row to hoe as she goes through all of this. Who's going to believe her? Nobody. Not even Joseph. Joseph has troubles. And you read in Matthew's gospel, he was getting ready to divorce her and put her away privately because he knew what had happened here. And then an angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary uh, your betrothed wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Says the same thing that Gabriel said to Mary. This is the kind of thing that is going to follow Jesus around the rest of his life. There's a time when the Pharisees say, Well, we know our fathers. And that's a dig at the fact that they were saying that Jesus was an illegitimate child who was the product of, a, uh, of an affair or of a prostitution or something like that. A dig at him that follows Mary and Joseph and even the Lord Jesus all of his earthly life. But they all knew the truth, didn't they? And so Mary goes down to the city of, uh, where, of Judah to Jerusalem where Elizabeth lives. You remember that Zacharias is a priest. And so um, Elizabeth also married to him. They are a family with status. They're a family with money. They're a, a family with position. They're a family with privilege. It's uh, an amazing thing. They're older. And uh, yet when you read about this, not only does Mary greet her, but she greets Mary. And she spoke, verse 42, out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she, for there will be a fulfillment... See, that confirmation, fulfillment of those things which were told her by the Lord. In other words, as soon as this happens, Mary gets confirmation not only by the obvious pregnancy of Elizabeth, but Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and burst forth with this greeting. Now, this greeting that Elizabeth gave Mary would bug Mary as well. You see, in that culture, older people did not express those kind of things to the younger. And people of status did not act that way to people who were not of status. And yet Mary is exalted by Elizabeth as being over her, as being amazing before her. Why should the mother of my Lord visit me? This is all unfamiliar territory to Mary. Nobody had ever lifted her up. Nobody had ever magnified her. Nobody ever had ever said those kind of things about her. She was a nobody peasant girl betrothed to a village carpenter. And now this descendant of Aaron, this woman who is of the um, uh, married to a priest that works in the temple is greeting her with these wonderful, wonderful things and saying that everything that the Lord has told you is going to be fulfilled. Now, the Greek word for fulfillment in this is a word that means to be perfected, a word that means to be completed. And so in this greeting, Elizabeth is saying, count on it, bank on it, Everything the angel said to you is true. And Mary hadn't even told her yet. Elizabeth knew because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knew because this whole thing is of God. And so Mary and Elizabeth had this encounter that not only is between them. But between the babies that are in their wombs. And notice the baby Jesus in the womb didn't leap for joy over John the Baptist, it was, again, the lesser giving praise to the greater. And the baby in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy 
because he is in the presence of the King of kings and of the Lord of lords. The one who would be later that John would say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so again I reiterate, virgin birth, yes, absolutely, born of a virgin. But the miracle here in the emphasis that the scripture gives us is more this, the miracle of a virgin conception and all that that means. And it is going to be fulfilled. It's going to be completed. It's going to be perfected. It's going to be done just as it says. And so, when Harry Belafonte sings, And man can live forevermore because of Christmas Day? No. With all due respect, no. No. A baby laid in a manger saves no one. But a baby that grows up living a sinless life, dying on a cross as a man, bearing the wrath of God, drinking the cup completely, draining it, and saying it is finished, and three days later rising from the dead. Now you've got something. And that's why you cannot take the story of Christmas and separate it from the story of Easter. Because it's all about his death, burial, and resurrection. And Christmas makes it possible for God to redeem sinners like us, but only through the blood of his son on the cross. So that's why the world, they're not real threatened by the manger. Okay, that's cute. Oh, little innocent baby. Oh, let's bring him silver and gold, as one song says. One of the dumbest songs ever written. Another song says, take a newborn kid and go in front of him and play the drums. Every mother would love that, right? I mean, it's all just sentimental, I'll quote Mr. Potter since we're on Christmas, sentimental hogwash. And so much of it is that. Because the world is not threatened by an innocent baby who needs protection and they need us. And let's do something for him. And let's do coats for kids. And let's put money in the little kettle at the Salvation Army. Oh, isn't it wonderful? It's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the fact that you and I are sinners. We're headed for hell for eternity. And God, who is rich in mercy, sent His Son in the form of a baby to be born and to live and be the unblemished Lamb of God, to die on the cross, to conquer death, hell, and the grave, and give eternal life as a free gift to everyone who will put their faith and trust in not the baby in a manger, but the King on the throne. Get it? That's what it's about. The virgin conception of Christ is so that he could be the Isaiah 53 suffering servant on our behalf so that we can have confidence, not because a baby is born, but because the king died in our place as the God-man paying in full our sin debt. Now, tell that to the world and you're going to get a different reaction from them, aren't you? Tell that to the world. And when they say, oh, I, I believe Jesus is born. Well, I do too. But do you know why he was born? And tell them that. And unless the Holy Spirit convicts them, you're going to get a completely different uh, reaction because they're not threatened by a baby in a manger and in a stable. But a returning king is going to be a threat 
to this world just like it would have been to the ancient Romans. You see, in this world, people like to be their own king. And the idea of another king and another authority, that they must die to self, that they must give up their own kingship and kingdom and bow before another king, well, now that's a story they don't really want to hear. And yet that is the story they desperately need to hear. Because until they hear the bad news... The gospel really isn't good news. And for those of you who have trusted the Lord, you understood your sin. You understood that you fell short of the glory of God. You understood that there is a greater king and you relinquished your crown and your throne and you bowed before him and confessed Jesus as Lord and trusted him as the full payment for your sins. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there are people in your family who need to do the same thing. Don't sell it short. Tell the story. Find a way to tell the story. I'm not saying be rude. I'm not saying be brash. I'm not saying be inappropriate or any of those things. I'm just simply saying this. Find a way. Pray about a way. And then follow through on it. And do it for the glory of God. And for the good of those who are lost during this Christmas season of the year, who may actually sing about a Jesus they don't know and they don't understand and they don't love. Oh, how wonderful it would be to see somebody in your family saved this Christmas, right? How wonderful it would be to see friends, neighbors, relatives come to know Christ as Savior and Lord and to know that God used you to do it by telling them the whole story. That's what needs to take place. May we pray together? Lord God, as I think about the fact that you have committed this message and this story into our hands, it's overwhelming because we fail so greatly, so mightily, and so very often. Forgive us, Lord. Put it within our hearts to tell the story not just of a baby and not just of shepherds, not just of wise men, but of a conquering king, the God-man, who died on the cross as the full and only payment for our sin, who conquered death, hell, and the grave, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and who is returning one day to judge the living and the dead. And may we tell them about his marvelous grace, his wonderful atonement. And I pray, Lord, that we would see people come to know Christ this Christmas season, because they finally know and hear and understand and receive the whole story. Thank you, Lord, for sharing that with us. And thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for Mary and her submission to the will of God, as difficult as it was. Thank you for that. And thank you even more for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.